turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Welcome to the Todd Starn Show, sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. There's never been a better time to invest in precious metals. Visit LegacyPMInvestments.com. That's LegacyPMInvestments.com. From the Liberty University studio in Memphis, Tennessee, it's Common Sense Conservative Commentary from Todd Starnes. That's us, that's right, I love this American ride. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome into it. It is the Todd Starnes radio program, although Todd Starnes out for the day, traveling out and about. So yours truly, Andy Hoosier, filling in for the radio program today. So wonderful to be along for the ride, and Todd, always a pleasure to be able to sit in the chair in the Liberty University studios as usual. Love it. And so excited to be back on the airwaves here. Give us a call. we got a lot to talk about today, man. It's going to be a fun one. 901-260-5926 is the phone line if you want to jump in. 901-260-5926. I hail out of Wichita, Kansas, a great affiliate of the Todd Starnes Radio Show in Wichita, Kansas. And welcome aboard. Coming up on the program this hour, bottom of the hour, Michael Waller will be joining us. He's the author of Big Intel. There is a concern, I don't know about you or not, there's a concern about our agencies, like, I don't know, the CIA or the FBI or other federal agencies that may be spying on us as Americans. I know that would never happen, right? They're totally looking out for our best interests. Totally would not do anything in a malicious intent to keep us under control in any way, shape, or form. So we'll have some fun with Michael coming up at the bottom of the hour. Uh, because of that, it really made me wonder. And I have to ask you a question. Is today opposite day? I'm, I'm curious. <laughs> Is today maybe reverse day, opposite day? You say one thing and you actually mean the other. The reason I say that is because I usually like to do a daily check-in with Joe Biden. we got to make sure he's doing okay. He's obviously getting a little older, obviously starting to slip just a little bit. So we have to ask, are you doing all right, buddy? Doing okay? Clear. I'm not going nuts. Just making sure. So according to a new survey that was done, and the Hill.com reports this one, that Joe Biden has officially fallen on the rankings for the best and worst presidents in the United States. Now, I want to give you just a moment to ponder, just for a minute. And I want you to think about where Joe Biden may or may not fall on this ranking for the best and worst presidents of the United States. I'm curious. Well, according to them... They say that Joe Biden falls in the 14th place for the best president in American history. I almost got through it without laughing the entire article. But nonetheless, here's what they had to say in the recent survey that was conducted by a panel of experts. I don't know who those may be, but they're experts. So just like Dr. Fauci, he was the expert. He is science. He didn't agree with science. He didn't line up with science. He is science, which means science apparently just retired now. But uh, in a panel of experts that specialize in American presidencies, Joe Biden ranked 14th best president while while his likely 2024 presidential opponent, former President Donald Trump, found himself somewhere else on the list. Before I tell you that number, 
start pondering what that may look like. And I have to ask you the question, where would you rank Joe Biden versus Donald Trump on this list? Because uh, that's kind of interesting. The 2024 Presidential Greatness Project Expert Survey. I don't know where they come up with these names, but it's the Presidential Greatness Project Expert Survey that was conducted between November 15th to the end of the year on December 31st, included current and recent members of the president's, the executive political section of the American Political Science Association, which is the foremost organization of social science experts in presidential politics. They say that number one on the ranking was Abraham Lincoln as America's greatest president. I can go along with that. That makes kind of sense. Biden was placed on number 14 ahead of Woodrow Wilson, Ronald Reagan, and Ulysses S. Grant, along with former President Barack Obama ranking number seven, eight spots higher than the experts polled last year. So apparently they move each and every year. I, <laughs> I don't know how they can move based on the fact that their administrations are done. I don't know how you can move up the ranking if you already are a past administration or a past president. So I don't know how you can actually move up or down on the ranking unless it's an opinionated ranking. But Joe Biden ranking number 14 on the list. Now, I asked you the question before, where does Donald Trump fall on this list? Oh, yeah. Donald Trump ranked the lowest in the survey at 45, placing below James Buchanan at 44th, Andrew Jackson at 43rd, Franklin Pierce at 42nd, and William Henry Harrison at 41st. The poll also ranked, by the way, the partisan and ideological differences among the respondents, with the surveyors arguing, quote, it did not tend to make a major difference overall where the presidents were actually ranked. There you go. Opposite day today, Joe Biden ranking 14, Donald Trump ranking dead last at 45. I'm sure that we'll see that uh, in the reflection of how the 2024 presidential elections will turn out as well. But do you believe this? And when these types of surveys and these types of quote-unquote experts come out, does this not just lower the credibility of these individuals just a little bit more? I mean, I would rather have Donald Duck, honestly, as the president of the United States right now. I mean, they would be just as coherent and he mumbles to himself and grumbles under his breath half the time like an angry old man, meaning Donald uh, Donald Duck. So there you go. Donald Duck would be a better president than Joe Biden right now. But apparently that would rank really high in today's age with the political landscape that we're actually in. All right. Speaking of that, uh, the truth always comes out in the end. And while they may rank that at a rate now, we'll see what the experts say, what the historians say 100 years from now in the United States. If we have a United States 100 years from now, depending on the direction that we're going right now. But the truth always comes out in the end. I'm always a firm believer that my parents, my grandparents always told me that. And that's usually the motive is that, oh, don't lie as a kid. Remember, don't lie as a kid. You know, the truth will always come out in the end. We'll always figure out the truth. And the truth will come out regarding the rankings of where we fall with Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Once all the partisanship goes away, once all the opinionated people go away, once all the very angry mobs of the other side of the aisle go away, then we can actually have a coherent conversation on where we rank on uh, credibility of the greatness. Because if, if he's great, if he's that good, then what exactly has he done? What's been the accomplishments? In fact, last year, if you remember, we wrapped up 2023 with individuals saying that it was the least amount of legislation that was actually passed in Congress in like decades because there was only like 20 bills that were passed the entire year. Why? Because of the stagnation in Congress with a Republican House and a Democrat Senate. So obviously the Biden administration didn't get to do a whole lot unless, of course, they used that Obama phone and executive order. The phone and the pen. And as long as you have that, you can do whatever you want to. Speaking of the truth always coming out in the end, 
I that I will be very upfront as uh, with the Todd Starnes listenership that I have not gotten my COVID nineteen vaccine. I didn't from the very beginning, and I have no intention of doing so either. Being thirty five years old, I probably feel like I didn't need it. As the fact that I don't know my immune system's relatively strong, you can do whatever you want to. Not telling others to not get it or to get it. It's your own prerogative. Which I don't know. Wild concept. The freedom of this nation, but. Like we were told, being the conspiracy nuts, being the radicals, being the loony right-wing conspiracy theorists, getting on board with the fact that the government's trying to forcefully inject us with these vaccines and we're concerned about potential health effects of these things, the media is finally, finally starting to admit the fact that there could be something askew with these COVID-19 vaccinations. According to MSN.com, and I want to read this verbatim for you because you can see kind of the manipulation or the bias that's in this article. They are desperate to show we're kind of having to leak out the truth because it's so big now, but we really don't want it to be out there. So we're going to, of course, sugarcoat the whole thing. Largest COVID-19 vaccine study yet finds links to possible health conditions. Oh, mon Dieu. According to Bloomberg, that was reported by MSN.com, vaccines protect against severe illness death and lingering long covid symptoms form uh, from a coronavirus infection were linked to small increases in neurological blood and heart related conditions in the largest global vaccine safety study to date oh how the truth comes out in the end shocker we're seeing health issues with potential blood clots blood heart related conditions neurological issues and so on and so forth all of those cases where we're like hey how come 12 year olds are like falling on the football field just randomly out of nowhere and having blood clots how come professional athletes are just all of a sudden just collapsing with a blood clot and dying on the field what's going on here oh yeah they called us crazy and now the truth comes out in the end but remember dr fauci who is science is the one that told us there are no harms to this and how dare you not even consider getting your covid19 vaccine according to them and this is where the media kicks in the this is verbatim quote unquote the rare events identified early in the pandemic include a higher risk of heart-related inflammation from the mRNA shots made by Pfizer, BioNTech, and Moderna, and an increased risk of a blood, uh, blood clots in the brain after immunization. I thought that was a no-no. I thought we weren't allowed to say that. The viral vector jabs were also tied to an increase of the Guillain-Barre syndrome, a neurological disorder in which the immune system mistakenly attacks the nervous system. More than 13, and of course, the media has to say more than 13 and a half billion doses of the COVID vaccines have been administered globally over the past three years, saving over one million lives in Europe alone. But still, a small proportion of people immunized were inject, uh, injured by the shots, stoking debate about their benefits versus the harms (laughs) so there we are as the truth begins to come out in the end are we finally starting to see the media forcibly for whatever reason have to admit the fact that there are some ill effects and the fact that they're large enough for the media to have to cover them means that there should be something to discuss here at least but this should just really reiterate the fact that when we had social media, if you tried to say something on YouTube, if you tried to say something on the Twitter back in the day before Elon Musk bought it or Facebook, if you said anything regarding this at all, you were censored, you were silenced, and you were told that you were going to kill people unless you got that uh, COVID-19 vaccine because everyone would die. Even the vaccinated people would die if you were unvaccinated and you were around there spreading something to those vaccinated people. You were going to be the end of humanity. And that's really where we're at today with the media admitting something 
but not wanting to admit it. So saying, well, it's really saving people, really doing a whole lot. But the largest study shows that there actually are some people. Funny how that works. 901-260-5926. 901-260-5926. Andy, who's your filling in for Todd Starnes here on the Todd Starnes Radio Program from the Liberty University Studios. Uh, I want to get your thoughts. Where does Joe Biden rank on the president's greatest and worst list in the nation? Where does Donald Trump fall on this ranking? And... Does this change your opinion if you may or may have not gotten this COVID-19 vaccine now that they're admitting that there could be some potential side effects that include neurological issues, that uh, it could include some different medical uh, illnesses like the Guillain-Barre syndrome, or is it just going to cause a blood clot? And does this just say, well, why not? I'm just going to run out and get this vaccine for something that has a 99.8 success livable rate from surviving in this issue. I want to get your thoughts on this at 901-260-5926. It is the Todd Starnes Radio Program, back right after this. Mike Lindell and MyPillow employees want to thank my listeners for your continued support. And to thank you, they have an overstock clearance sale right now for the best prices ever when you use the promo code STARNS and you get free shipping on your entire order. Get 50% off the MyPillow 2.0 and the brand new flannel sheets that just arrived. Won't last long, folks. Get a six-pack towel set for only $29.98 and take advantage of the free shipping on larger items like mattresses and mattress toppers, 100% made in the USA, on sale for as low as $99.99. Everything is on sale from the brand new kitchen towels that have the same technology as the bath towels. They absorb dog beds, blankets, couch pillows, so much more. To get the best offers ever, go to MyPillow.com and use promo code STARNS or call 800-839-8506 and get free shipping on your entire order while supplies last. Welcome back into the Todd Starnes Radio Show. Andy Hoosier filling in for the great Todd Starnes. He is out and about. He's actually heading to the NAB, the National Association of Broadcasters Conference. Always a fun one to go to that. I'm sure, I mean, with how much he's rocking, along with his uh, flagship station there in Memphis, Tennessee, how much they're rocking, all the awards that they're going to see this year. So I'm already just going to say congratulations to him because they're amazing and awesome. And Todd rocks it each and every day especially right here on this program. So welcome into it. Andy Hoosier filling in 301-260-5926 if you want to jump on the program. <laughs> By the way, I was watching uh, social media, which is the direction I want to go here in just a moment. I was scrolling through social media on the break looking at some of the other big stories of the day. Have you seen this video from Fox News of uh, Madonna at a concert where she's being pulled on a chair by a dude like who's pulling her like to one of those things that's in the middle of the crowd and they're like pulling her while she's singing. The guy's wearing some type of like weird fishnet things in high heels. He slips and falls and knocks her off the chair as they both just go tumbling on the stage. Hilarious to watch. I don't know. I don't understand why that would be there in the first place, but nonetheless, well done, Madonna. How old is she now? In her sixties or something? And yeah, you know, the uh, plastic surgery is done not so well for you. All right, let's go to the program here at the 901-260-5926. Let's go to Dean on line one from Nevada, listening on KWAM. Good uh, good afternoon, sir. What's happening? Hi. Um, I just called because um, we were talking about who the best president in history. Yes. Was. And I think there's, there's two, Abraham Lincoln and Donald Trump. And I, I think Donald Trump is going to, do the same thing Abraham Lincoln did by saving the country in 24. 
That's mm. that's my opinion on that. That's, that's why I the think they're both, they're both number one. How in the world could he be ranked number forty-five right now on the list at the bottom? How how dare they? Uh, well, look at look at the source of that. <laughs> the source <laughs> of that information, right? I mean, that's yeah. hilarious in itself. It is. What I don't understand is how, if a president's done with their term, how they can change in the rankings. I don't understand how that works. Like Barack Obama apparently went up nine slots to the number seven slot this time, but Joe Biden placing 14. Now, I don't know how you could change numbers. That doesn't make any sense to me. No, absolutely not. It's crazy. I mean, yeah. when you think about Donald Trump's presidency, how many, how many roadblocks did they throw up against that guy every yeah. day? for four years, and then he still accomplished what he accomplished? I mean, come on, give the guy a break. Let him have his presidency. I think he deserves eight more years, but, you know, obviously we can't do that. But let him have his presidency. Leave the guy alone. Let him issue his foreign policy. Let him shut this country down. I mean, I'm not an isolationist or anything, but we have everything in this country we need. We have energy, we have food, we have water. We have two giant oceans to protect us, plus two relatively, um, you know, good allies, giant countries on either side of our southern and northern border. And, I mean, I'm I'm not talking isolationism, but if something like that happened, the United States of America would be fine. No one could touch us. And I would like to see a few that. more stickers that say built in America or American proud. I would like to see a few more of those. And right now we don't. And I get it. I mean, we're a large country and sometimes uh, and we talk about this in energy, which we'll do a little bit actually next hour with a, with a guest that it's, it's cheaper in some aspects to actually import something than it is to travel it across the country than it is uh, for something on the border. So I get it. You're right. I mean, we're not completely isolationist and just saying shut everything down. At the same time, uh, there's a difference between shutting everything down and then having things wide open to where anybody can just come across and do uh, whatever they want to. Dean, real quickly before we let you go, have you gotten your vaccine? You, I mean, come on, Dr. Fauci said no, you're going to kill people if you don't no, get it. No, I thought <laughs> I had COVID before everything started happening around September 19. And so I didn't do it because I think I had natural immunity or I thought I did. I have some, you know, small amount of medical training. I was a pharmacy technician. So, you know, way before that, so I just, I never thought I needed the vaccine because I never got like even where, like even close to being sick. I had that thing once where you couldn't taste food for a second. You remember that one? No, sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I love how everything changed. Happened, and I, but, you know, I didn't get concerned because I think I had a full on case. I, I, I literally thought I almost, I almost died. I lost like 27 pounds in a week. Mm. Uh, it was bad. I was sick really bad sick and I, I couldn't get even drive myself to the hospital and uh-huh. I couldn't afford an ambulance. I just thought, well, this is it for Dean. I'm gone. <laughs> right. But I, yeah. after about five days, I, you know, I, it turned, my body fought it off. My, you know, my parents, my grandparents are um, immigrants from, you know, from Italy, both sets um, in, in the uh, early late 1800s and you know all of my whole family went through the flu pandemic i don't know 
I well, I tell you, there's had. there's a there's a there's an argument for natural immunity, like you said, to build up that immune system. And unless you're in some of those dire demographics, which was relatively small, then we didn't have to worry about it. But at the same time, Dr. Fauci told us, man, and they refused to admit it. They refused to accept the fact that there could be something bad and some type of negative side effect with those COVID-19 shots. Appreciate the call, Dean, very much. Got to take a break here. It's the Todd Starnes radio program. Stay right here. Into it. It is the Todd Sarns Radio Show. Andy Hoosier filling in today. So wonderful to have you with us here. 901-260-5926. If you want to jump into the Liberty University studios, we'd love to hear from you. The ranking of the presidents uh, across the history of this country and where Joe Biden falls on that list, apparently ranking number 14. <laughs> that's that's funny right there. And Donald Trump ranking at the bottom at number 45, according to the latest experts. Okay. Okay. The first thing I saw it actually because it was at re- released yesterday for President's Day, and Mark Hamill, you know, the guy that played like Luke Skywalker in the Star Wars movies, was the one that tweeted it out and said, "Congratulations to Joe Biden on this President's Day." I had to laugh, and I had to make sure that it was real because I didn't believe it. I really didn't believe that one. Craziness. As we talk about the COVID nineteen vaccine, now that we're seeing the information slowly get leaked out in the media, doing what they can to try and protect as much as possible. No, no, it saved millions of people. It's done all this stuff, but I guess in this largest study, it does show that there's some potential negative side effects of the vaccine. While they come to that admittance now, finally, and we say the truth always comes out in the end, I have to ask a very simple question: Is how much longer will truths like that actually be out in the open? Because it seems like for the last few years, we were not allowed to say that. In fact, we got silenced if we were on YouTube, if we were on the Tweety, if we were on Facebook, if we were on anywhere other social media sites, then you weren't allowed to say that and be like, maybe, even ask the question, maybe there's something that could potentially go wrong with the vaccine. And as soon as you said that, boom, you were done. You were silenced. You were canceled. You were shadow banned. Not allowed to have that conversation at all whatsoever. And my simple question is, how in the world did they find us that way? How did they create the algorithm to silence us in that form? And is the government really working for us compared to not working for us and actually coming after us? There was a hearing just a while ago from Congressman Jimenez, who was interviewing the FBI director, Chris Ray, along with some others, uh, other individuals about TikTok and how them gathering information is really, really bad for us. And as we go down the road of artificial intelligence, especially, and data collection, information gathering to be able to curb your artificial intelligence experience better for you and tailor it and personalize it to you, the type of information that it's gathering to understand, I say understand in air quotes here for the radio listeners, know how to curb the responses and give you a proper response. And it's the ongoing battle now between the U.S. and China. i got to say it in the Donald Trump fashion, China, when it comes to collection of data for artificial intelligence. So, Mr. Ray, knowing that it is critical for the United States to win the race to AI and TikTok is a huge source of data, actually in a language that they need, I believe that that the Chinese language is actually a disadvantage and that they need more Western languages in order to win that race. How critical to to our security is, is, well, TikTok is is providing all this data to the CCP. Do you think that's a security threat to the United States? I, I have very significant security concerns about TikTok. 
uh, and it's, it's a combination of the ability that the Chinese government would have to, if they choose to exercise it, to control the collection of the data, to control the recommendation algorithm, and if they wanted to, to be able to control and compromise devices. Now that audio from Fox News, by the way. So that was the interview with FBI Director Chris Ray talking about the dangers of TikTok and the now battle. We're not racing to the moon, we're racing to artificial intelligence. And I've said this many times before, this may be somewhat of a controversial position, but while we do need to be concerned about TikTok and China gathering our information, I got to be honest, I'm almost more concerned about our own agencies collecting our data because look at what they've done to us. We've had the president of the United States come out and openly say that uh, conservatives, MAGA individuals are the radical extremists. They're domestic terrorists. They are the threat to democracy. That's the campaign that Joe Biden's running right now running for president of the United States and saying that his political opponent is the threat to democracy. And no longer is it a race against Republican, Democrat, right versus left, conservative versus liberal. No, no. It is now democracy or tyranny, which is a wild position for us to be in. So while I understand the threat to TikTok, I almost just as much concerned about our own agencies and what they're doing to us when we get called the domestic terrorists for having a conservative, limited government view and support a certain political candidate. Talk about some of that and more. Happy to have on the Patriot Mobile Newsmaker Hotlines with us here. He is the author of the book Big Intel, how the CIA and FBI went from Cold War heroes to deep state villains. He's also a senior analyst for strategy at the Center for Security Policy at the president and president of Georgetown Research. Excited to have on here Michael Waller. Michael, how are you, my friend? All right, Andy, how are you? I'm doing great. It's great to talk to you again, my friend. It's been a little bit. What a world we live in. We're so concerned about TikTok and China collecting our data, which I get is a concern. But how concerned should we be about our own government and law enforcement agencies that are silencing us on social media and calling us the threats to America? Well, you know, you, you picked the right the right issue for the FBI to be focusing on. It's just a shame that last week when he was in Munich, FBI Director Ray was posing right next to the TikTok logo when he gave a speech. <laughs> we have a we, we we have a we have to be really concerned because while on the one hand you've got the FBI saying we've got communist Chinese abuse of our system and, and they're you know using social media for nefarious purposes, the FBI has gone completely out of control targeting half the American population as potential domestic violent extremists or enemies because we're, we're full of hate. We're, mis, we're misgendering people and using the wrong pronouns. It's literally gotten this bad within the Bureau. When did we get to this point, Michael? Obviously, this had to have some kind of transition, but it start, we really started paying attention to the FBI during the Trump investigations, the invasion of Mar-a-Lago, and the arrest of other individuals that were associated with Donald Trump uh, throughout the past few years, where the FBI kind of headed up some of these. And obviously, there were some corrupt apples. We're not saying the entire agency is corrupt with every agent. They're just doing their job, or maybe they disagree with it entirely. But where did we get to this point? How in the world did one of our agencies that's supposed to protect uh, the nation and protect the citizens of America. How how in the world did we see them actually turn on us and start targeting us instead of targeting our enemies? It happens so gradually. It's kind of like when you don't pay attention to your tires and then the sidewall blows out and you wonder why. It, it, it's one of these things where we we thought the FBI was was a great institution doing great things, and all of a sudden we found that's no longer the case. So it happened really gradually. It, 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 the FBI was really one of the last government institutions to go. And it started 
when really under the George W. Bush administration, when there was a big hiring and lowering of standards to get more people into the bureau, and then a uh, centralization of power within the FBI, so that it was no longer handled by the local field offices to initiate cases. It was all handled by the central apparatus in Washington, with two new layers of of bureaucracy and management, 60 new management positions put in for the super centralized system, and then the USA Patriot Act. So when you have, you know, and that, and that law, the Patriot Act, was so dangerous, even the, the, the lawmakers and President Bush realized it was so dangerous that it had to expire within a few years because it represented such a public danger. So it would have expired automatically, but Congress kept renewing it time after time after time, and then all of a sudden, here we are. So when you have somebody, any bureaucracy, when it's accomplished its mission, it's not going to say, okay, it's time to just downsize and and go back to where we were. They're going to look for more to do or else they're going to lose their budgets and all those job positions. So they went out looking for more enemies. In the meantime, they were hiring woke people to take the places of the people who who were being promoted for those who were retiring until so much such time as you had really worse than PC, you know, woke, uh, critical theory type people controlling the whole nervous system of the FBI. So then they went out looking for more enemies. Wow. With much of the power you mentioned, much of the power being focused and centralized in D.C. as opposed to kind of the local branches across the nation, is that a concern that we need to have when we look at, for example, sheriff's offices? We've talked about, and it's been a national conversation for a while, about centralizing law enforcement all over the country and centralizing that power and authority and that regulation at the top and then having local law enforcement, the, the, the county sheriff's office, the state highway patrols, and, and so on and so forth being centralized up there to get their marching orders. If we go down that road, God forbid, if we go down that direction, would we start seeing the same type of corruption in that system as we do in the FBI right now? Absolutely. And less accountability, too, because the sheriffs are really our last line of defense. They're, most people don't even know what sheriffs do. They're the, they're the senior elected law enforcement officer, you know, in, generally in the county. So the people directly vote for their sheriffs. They can vote them in and out of office. And when we vote for them, not many of us pay attention to who the sheriff is or what they're doing. We just sort of check the box and uh, without, without actually interviewing the candidates for sheriff or the incumbent. But just think of it. The sheriffs have the constitutional power to to limit what the FBI and the ATF and others can do in their counties. They don't have to help the FBI in their counties, yet the, yet the, yet they've performed the functions of the eyes and ears and hands of the federal agents in their own counties when the federal agents need help. A lot of sheriffs are resisting this FBI abuse. There's legitimate reasons, I mean, to have FBI working at the local level, obviously. But when they see the central power abusing itself, and then, and then even getting the sheriffs to deputize federal agents to become state and county law enforcement. That's where we lose public accountability and the local people no longer have control over their own law enforcement leaders. And it's all handed over to, to uh, really the, the woke revolutionaries in Washington. 
Yeah, it's a scary thought if we go down that road. We're talking with Michael Waller. He is the author of the book Big Intel, how the CIA and FBI went from Cold War heroes to deep state villains. He's on the Patriot Mobile Newsmaker Hotline. Let's talk about and tie this into the uh, discussion of artificial intelligence and social media, which is obviously the hot topic now, where AI is going to go, where social media is. And a term that we haven't heard in a very long time, really since the Patriot Act that you mentioned, was metadata and all the metadata collection from our text messages and emails and cell phones. And I make the case that, again, while we should be concerned about TikTok, at the same time, if you have a Gmail account, if you have a Facebook account, if you used to have at least a Twitter account, the government already has everything on you. They follow and track everything that you do. Uh, When we look at this and move forward to artificial intelligence, how much more data needs to be collected from each individual using these services, and what could that potentially do if we have these agencies right now that aren't the most favorable to the American public? Well, AI can also predict your behavior, and it, it, can, it can classify you in ways that you, we can't even imagine. It, it can draw psychological profiles of every single citizen, and then determine who's a threat and who's not based on what is the criteria for the threat. Are you a jihadist who is going to blow something up? Or are you simply a, a, a Christian who shops at Bass Pro? You know, mm-hmm. What kind of terrorist are you? And, and so AI will aggregate all that. And then, of course, uh, it can follow your movements everywhere you go if you have a smartphone, unless you shut off the smartphone or use a Faraday case. So they can track your movements everywhere, and then all your connections with everybody you know and everyone they know. So you have zero privacy. So if the federal government is allowed to have this without due cause, then then they're going to build a, a George Orwell-type database of uh, everything we see, do, and, and plan to do. Yeah. That, again, I think I was born in the wrong time era, Michael. I, I don't know that I necessarily like these where they can predict my behaviors and what I'm going to be doing, where I'm going to be shopping, what I believe in or what I'm going to stand for. I, I kind of want to go back to the times where I have an actual literal soapbox and uh, smoke signals that I can just give my political opinion on. Can we can we go back to that style? I, I'd rather go back to that. Last question for you, Michael, before we let you go, and I appreciate your time very much. But what can we do to start working on cleaning this up and how do we protect our privacy in this time era and when it comes to an agency like this, is there a chance for it to get back on track, or are they so corrupt that it kind of needs to hit the reset button? Well, you don't know a four-hour show, or I'd answer the whole question. Uh, but, <laughs> but I will say, uh, in short, the people at the top want us to feel isolated. They want us to feel afraid, and they want us to feel hopeless. So we, we have to just remember that we don't need to feel hopeless. We have the sheriffs. That's a really basic thing. We don't need all these apps and other things on our phone that can track us the way they do. You, you, we don't need to have even a smartphone. If you would just want to have a flip phone, you can, you can save a lot of your privacy by just getting a regular flip, flip phone. But the key thing now is this presidential election, because the, if, 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 say, President Trump comes in with a real plan, and I know people have drawn up real actionable plans, I've seen them, uh, to, to take over these agencies on day one, the way he did not do the first time with a unified team of people that he didn't have the first time, uh, with, with a real action plan through executive orders, and then draft laws already written before Inauguration Day to introduce to hopefully a friendly Congress, then you can have something done from the top. If that doesn't happen, it never will happen. Because the way the personnel system is working now, you have the people hired after 9-11, the, the, the real woke uh, rot in the agencies, they're now mid, mid and senior level managers and supervisors. So in the next presidential term, they're going to be running the entire 
permanent bureaucracy. So it doesn't matter who's on top anymore after that. We got a lot of work to do. And it starts, like you said, with the elections. The elections have consequences. We need to make sure that the right individuals get into office. And that's what we have to focus on in this one. It is big intel how the CIA and FBI went from Cold War heroes to deep state villains. You can find it on Amazon, other places as well. Michael Waller. Michael, we appreciate the time very much, my friend. Let's do it again soon. Thank you, Andy. Hey, always a pleasure. Right back here on the Todd Starnes Radio Show. Stay here. It is the Todd Sarns Radio Show. Andy Hoosier filling in. Thanks again to Michael Waller coming on the program. Interesting information, the history of the FBI. We didn't even get to the CIA, which is a whole nother conversation. We're going to need some more time for that one. But it is scary when our own agencies are the ones that are coming after our own people because they're supposed to be protecting us, not coming after us. But remember, we are the threats to democracy. We are the threats that can overturn. We could become the totalitarianisms that believe in Donald Trump executing his political opponents when he gets into office or something. I don't know. Did you hear that, Joe Scarborough, a few weeks ago? Oh, yeah. If Donald Trump gets elected again, he'll execute his political opponents when he gets into office again. Okay. Okay. We'll believe that. By the way, speaking of the artificial intelligence thing, I, I, I only half joke when I say that I really wish that I wasn't in this time era because the technology is so crazy that it makes me a little nervous. And you don't know who's collecting your information, which is why I don't trust any of it. And one of those days we can go back to a flip phone that's actually a phone, not a computer with a phone application on it. Wild concept. But at the same time, conservatives usually have that mindset. And I will say that while that is understandable... We also need to be part of the conversation with the new technology. Andy, what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is that when we look at artificial intelligence, we have to come to the recognition and the acknowledgement that it's here and it's not going anywhere. And it's only going to get even more so in control than what it is right now. And by control, I mean just aiding people every day, asking questions, doing more jobs, taking over more jobs, becoming more of an intricate part of our life on a daily basis. And I ask you the question, and this was brought up to me by a a conversation that I had about a year ago, was, Andy, if the artificial intelligence or technology or fill in the blank, whatever it is, is going to be here, do you want to be part of it to actually have a say in how it's crafted? Or do you want to be the ones that are left out and then being controlled by it when it's all said and done? And it really kind of changed my perspective on it, because while I'm like, "Ah, AI is ridiculous, I'm never going to use it. We have to come to the realization that it's going to be here. I don't want to be the get off my lawn kind of guy at 35 years old. I don't want to do that because I'm already starting to feel that I'm turning that way. But if artificial intelligence is going to be there for us already, then I kind of have to come to the acceptance that it's not going anywhere. And I'd rather have a say in how AI is crafted as opposed to having it control me at the end of the day, because uh, I could ask it down the road or my daughter or my grandkids could ask it later and be like, hey, how was the United States founded? And the response is going to be, well, it was created by evil rich white men who hated the country and who hated minorities and who hated people. And unless we're part of that conversation to say, yeah, that's not right, they won't know any difference. And that'll be the standard response from artificial intelligence created by progressives and the deep state. Lots more coming up. Stay here. From the Liberty University studio in Memphis, Tennessee, it's America's conservative blowtorch. That's us. That's right. I love 
Welcome into the Todd Starnes Radio Show. It is not Todd Starnes, however. He is out. Andy Hoosier filling in, moving the Liberty University studios out to Wichita, Kansas, my flagship station, the Big Talker KQAM, where we're hailing from today in the heart of the nation. It's so wonderful to be able to fill in for Todd Starnes, and thank you for the opportunity. As always, we love it, man. It's so much fun uh, being able to jump on the microphone here and rocking it each and every day. Open lines to you at 901-260-5926, 901-260-5926 if you want to jump on the program today. The question is still lingering on where you think the lineup falls for Joe Biden and Donald Trump on the best and worst presidents in the United States in history. According to the experts uh, this year that show that Joe Biden ranks number 14, and Donald Trump ranks at the very bottom at number 45. I, <laughs> I know. Is that right? Does that, does that work? Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Maybe that's part of that fake news stuff that's going on because there is a lot of that going around as well. You are fake news. So I want to ask you on where you land on that spectrum for Donald Trump and Joe Biden in these rankings. Uh, 901-260-5926. We have Steve Gorham coming on the program in just a little bit. He is the author of the book Green Breakdown. He's also the executive director for the Climate Science Coalition of America. As we look at some of the in green initiatives, the EVs, and the push for this new wave of energy in the United States, because if we're going to look at Joe Biden being a successful president on this rankings, then we should probably look at some of these successes, right? Some of the things that he's done, some of the things that are successful in not just policy, but actually doing something. Last year, at the end of the year in 2023, the United States got ranked, or at least Congress got ranked, as one of the most inefficient Congresses that we've seen in decades, because they passed so few pieces of legislation. <laughs> so if that's the case, I don't know how the president can be successful if they didn't get to sign or veto any bills to actually move forward with any type of agenda. Unless they're signing a whole bunch of executive orders. And if that's the case, then we have a bigger problem when it comes to constitutional law and constitutional restrictions on a president that apparently we're not looking at when we look at these rankings by these historical experts uh, ranking Joe Biden number 14 in the nation for the greatest president out there. There is a push right now, obviously, for the green energy movement, EVs, as Joe Biden has been pushing to try and actually uh, limit the amount of gas vehicles you're allowed to have, giving more power to the Environmental Protection Agency. As the EPA, according to Fox News, says that they are passing their new initiative known as the Proposed Tailpipe Emissions, saying that uh, it will be going through the White House Office of Management and Budget for final review in the next week, as they are designing the law saying that they are uh, the staggering number of 67% of new car sales by the year 2032 need to be electric vehicles. I know, right? That's a big one. Say what? Right? That's what I'm saying. How can we have that big? 67% of all new car sales that will be happening by the year of 2032 need to be electric vehicles. And if that's the case, is that a success? Now, the Biden administration is backing off a little bit on the whole environmental push and the EV push right now because of the fact that it's an unpopular stance in the nation and so unpopular that he's actually not talked about it a whole lot on the campaign trail at all because he's, I don't know, running for office. <laughs> and If he's running for office, then he wants to say things that are popular, which begs the question why we'd be pushing for an agenda that's unpopular during an off-season election, but then we change our tone when it goes to election season. Now, 
That's all with a grain of salt, because at the same time, I still don't think that Joe Biden's going to be the president or be the presidential candidate going into the general election after Operation Joe Biden trips down the stairs while trying to tie his shoe ends up commencing officially. They're already working on it because even the Democrat Party's starting to recognize that he's just getting too old to do what he does. And while last week, supposedly he had his annual physical with the White House doctor, we're not allowed to see those results. And according to Karine Jean-Pierre, the White House spokesperson, she says that they're not going to do a cognitive test because the doctor says there's no need to do it with his cognitive ability to be president on a daily basis and handle all the conversations that he has each and every day. So they didn't supposedly do that. And if they didn't do that, we still want to see the cognitive test results or at least some type of physical test results with him scuffling up and down the uh, airplane when he gets on and off those as well. Do you remember back in the day? This is like way back, like totally far back, like at the time of Donald Trump when he was in office, when we ended up doing like a three hour press conference with the White House doctor after doing Donald Trump's cognitive ability stuff. And the doctor was like, yeah, Donald Trump's totally fine. Like, there's no issues here. We don't have to worry about Donald Trump at all. He's physically fit, even though he eats McDonald's every day. He's mentally fit and smarter than most people. And just because he roams the hallways at midnight and tweets out all the time because he doesn't sleep doesn't mean that he's losing his mind. And then it was a three-hour conversation from the media badgering him about trying to find some type of slip-up about how bad and mentally unstable Donald Trump actually is. Well, now, as we talk about artificial intelligence, we talk about some of the info out there, that the Biden team apparently has their legal team on the campaign trail ready to go for anybody that may criticize. They say it's for artificial intelligence or for some of the quote-unquote fake news out there. But that's not the case. The truth is, is that they have a legal team ready to go for anybody on the campaign trail that may criticize him and his mental capacity and then have a legal team to step in and call it fake news and misgenerated or misinformation that's spreading because of artificial intelligence and stuff that he didn't do, stuff that he didn't say, and that they're going to blame it on that. It's not really Joe Biden. It's just the AI that made him look like he doesn't know what he's doing. To the point where people are actually getting a little angry and defensive about Joe Biden. And I also am sick and tired of everybody talking about his age. When you listen, look at the age of Donald Trump, which is only a couple of years younger, who's got 91 uh, felony accounts against him and goes on rants that make no sense. The but, one that he did a week ago Saturday can, night. Would you acknowledge, though, that Go President ahead. Trump presents... As somebody that is fully with it, that has all the energy, despite the age. And we all know that people age at a different rate. Look, I've been with him. Yes, I can tell you. When I spent eight hours with him, you know me, Dana, I had a very direct, blunt conversation about every issue there was to discuss in Michigan. Every discussion. That was, uh, by the way, audio from Fox News. So I'm sick and tired of people criticizing his mental ability. How dare you criticize Joe Biden for being mentally incapable of running this country how could you do that it is totally absurd that is totally absurd how could you possibly do something like that nonetheless they're getting a little angry a little bit defensive and the biden administration trying to look at a campaign platform that they can run on while they're on the campaign trail hyping up with the steroids and trying to keep him stable and standing for longer than 10 minutes to actually give a speech uh, which presents the case on what are you actually going to stand on And with a success that hasn't been very successful with Congress passing the least amount of bills that we've seen in decades, which for conservatives and Republicans like you and I, we say, oh, thank God. Oh, thank goodness that we actually don't have a whole lot of bills being passed, because when legislation is being passed, 
that means that we're losing freedoms, and we don't like that. So the least they do, the happier that we are generally. Then we can live our lives and realize that government's not going to solve all of our issues. I know that's a triggering statement for the other side of the aisle. I'm terribly sorry, or sorry, not sorry. But what's the agenda going to look like for Joe Biden? If you look at just, for example, let's take a look at the electric vehicle issue. And 67% of electric vehicles need to be sold as the general car sales by the year 2032, when that is extremely unpopular. And an unpopular position, not just for the general population, but especially, I'm guessing at least, for people in the, I don't know, the auto industry that actually builds cars. There's a lot of uh, unintended consequences, if we want to put it that way, that uh, would be from those that work in that industry that would lose their jobs when we start going full EV. And I'm talking not just the ones that assemble vehicles. I'm talking about the ones that actually build axles and talking about the companies that build alternators and talking about the ones that build regular batteries and the ones that actually uh, produce the oil that you see on the shelves at your local AutoZone or O'Reilly's or whatever it may be, fill in the blank. Uh, I'm talking about the ones that actually build certain mechanical parts of vehicles that then send it to the car companies that actually use them to assemble the vehicle at the end of the day. All of those people would lose their jobs because the vast majority of electric vehicles, if you've ever ridden in one, I don't have one, but I've ridden in one and they are neat. Don't get me wrong, but they have like less than 80 percent of the actual parts that a normal car has. Because it's a battery. You don't need all those mechanical parts any longer. You don't need a combustible engine to function. So all of those union workers, all of those auto workers would be null and void. And I seem to remember, again, I know it's politics and we have a short-term memory loss in politics at times, but I seem to remember a massive auto worker strike that happened in the fall of last year in 2023. And in fact, an auto union strike that was very successful to the point where the president of the UAW was out there uh, essentially saying, Viva la Revolution, and he was advocating for other auto workers to join unions, other industries to create unions, and for all of them to sync up their union contracts to end at the same time so they could do a massive walkout, a massive strike, and completely overhaul the entire work industry with a communist revolution. If you haven't noticed, I'm not the biggest fan of unions in any way. And at the end of that strike, they ended up seeing a 33% increase in their wages to near 40 to $45 an hour for the basic auto worker, which sounds great and dandy. But when you lose your job because of an executive order done by the Biden administration or even the EPA, then you can make your $45 an hour until your job's not there anymore. But it's not enough. It's never enough from the Biden administration. It's never enough for the progressive Democrat. It's never enough to promote that type of agenda is now we have them calling for even higher wages. According to Yahoo Finance, we now have California Democrats advocating for a $50 an hour minimum wage in the state of California and encourages other states to do the same thing as well. (laughs) Oh, yeah. $50 an hour in the state of California for a minimum wage. If you're a small business owner, I would love to hear from you. 901-260-5925. I would love to hear from you on if you could sustain a $50 an hour minimum wage for all of your workers. If you're a pub, if you're a local restaurant, if you're a truck company, I don't know what trucking truckers actually make. I know they make some decent money at times. But if you're a small mom and pop shop, maybe a general store, maybe like a music CD store, if there's actually such a thing as CD stores. Are there CD stores any longer? Oh, I'm showing my age already, and that makes me a little worried. But nonetheless, if you're a small business, 
Could you afford a $50 an hour minimum wage? Because I don't know how many could. And while they advocate for this, I mean, remember Joe Biden, they, they loved him. They praised him. The media went nuts for him with the fact that he was the first sitting president to go out and pick it with the auto workers back in October, whenever it was, September, October last year. And which really says, hey, I'm here to support you in your cause saying that you can't afford the livable wages with the $30 an hour you're already making, which is a decent amount of money. So I'm going to pick it here because I agree with you. It's way too expensive. We can't afford living. We can't afford to do what we need to do. So you need to protest for higher wages and stick it to the man to the point where the auto industry said that essentially every vehicle that you're going to purchase is close to a thousand dollars more expensive just to cover the cost of what those auto workers ended up winning in the settlement. So we had them advocating for the higher wages there. Then we see the change in the industry over here that's going to make them null and void. What are we doing with this workforce? With Democrats at the same time advocating for $50 an hour minimum wages. 901-260-5926. Would you be able to sustain and survive with a small business at $50 an hour minimum wage for your business? I'd love to hear from you right back here on the Todd Starnes radio program. Stay here. Back into it. It is the Todd Starnes radio program. Hey, I want to tell you about our friends over at Patriot Mobile. For 10 years, Patriot Mobile has been America's only Christian conservative wireless provider. And when I say only, trust me, they're really, truly like the only ones. Glenn and the team have been great supporters of the Todd Starnes show here, which is why we're proud to partner with them as well. Patriot Mobile offers dependable nationwide coverage, giving you the ability to access all three major networks, which means you get the same coverage that you've been accustomed to. And you can do it without funding the left side of the aisle. What a concept, right? When you switch to Patriot Mobile, you're sending the message that you support free speech, religious freedom, the sanctity of life, Second Amendment, and our military, veterans, and first responder heroes. Their 100% U.S.-based customer service team also makes switching extremely easy. Keep your number, keep your phone, or upgrade, and they'll sell phones as well. Their team will help you find the best plan for what your needs may be. Here's what you do. Go to PatriotMobile.com slash Todd, or you can call 972-PATRIOT. You get free activation today when you use that promo code, Todd. Join me in helping make the switch today. PatriotMobile.com slash Todd, or call 972-PATRIOT. That's PatriotMobile.com slash Todd, or call 972-PATRIOT. Make that happen today with Patriot Mobile. With a $50 an hour minimum wage, and I want to hear, again, if you're a business owner, 901-620-5926, I'd love to hear where you stand with the uh, with a $50 an hour minimum wage. I seem to remember back in the day, and again, I'm 35, so I'm a little bit, I guess, on the younger end when it comes to talk radio hosts, but at the same time, I seem to remember that when I first got into the workforce, that I started at a minimum wage because that I didn't have any experience. I didn't have anything to, to actually bring to the table. I did the best that I could to curb my work skills, learn a bit of a work ethic, make a little bit of money. This was my senior year of high school. And thank goodness, I will say that I did not actually have to work at a restaurant or do anything like that. What I actually did was I worked at a feed store. I was in Colorado. I was in the rural communities in the feed store that sells like the bales of hay and the bags of grain and that sort of thing. Yeah, I was those guys, and I was the one that was uh, stacking the bales of hay into the back of the trucks. I was carrying the 50-pound bags of horse feed or cattle feed and stacking them into vehicles and into trucks. That's what I did for my first job, and I loved it. I got to admit, I loved it. It was being active and you know, getting some, you know, building strength a little bit. I was playing football at the time, and I just, I absolutely loved it. But 
I can tell you right now, they weren't paying me $50 an hour. Nobody would be able to. And when we have an issue like this that we try to raise minimum wage to such an insane level, first off, we have to remember the concept of what minimum wage was for. It's not, and this may be triggering for some again, it's not supposed to be a livable wage to take care of a family on. I know. Oh, I'm sorry. Not sorry that I upset so many on the other side of the aisle. Minimum wage is supposed to be for the one that's supposed to try to gain experience, to get their foot in the door in the industry, to try and just make a little bit of money while they're working their way up, maybe going to college, maybe before you go to college, maybe while you're in college or shortly after college while you're starting off your career and wanting to become that big boss at the end of the day when you you, you see the pinnacle of what you try to reach at the end of the day. You can't do that making $50 an hour. And in fact, it's going to kill off every incentive. And you want to talk about the lack of opportunity for those in inner city communities while they call Republicans racist and bigoted and whatever they try to call us. You can say that all you want to, but at the end of the day, when businesses can't hire on anybody and you kill off any opportunity for young kids to be able to make money because they can't afford to be hired on, then you've now created an entire state of individuals that have no work ethic, that are still on the social programs, and that have no income contributing to the economy at all. So, well done, Democrats. I'm glad that you want this $50 an hour. Thank God that it's only California because people are going to laugh at that all over the country outside of your little utopia of, and don't get me wrong, I love California, but at the same time, come on, guys. Come on. And you know they're going to try and push it to the federal level as well. And while the Biden administration runs for their re-election, where they're really campaigning as if like this is their first election and that they've never been in office for the past four years screwing things up, that while they try to run on some type of platform, uh, this is just my little tidbit, as Andy Hoosier filling in for Todd Starnes on the Todd Starnes Radio Show, this is my little encouragement for you, as you probably shouldn't run on that campaign platform, saying that you want $50 an hour minimum wage. <laughs> that might not go very well for uh, too many individuals. When we come back around the corner, Steve Gorham will be joining us. We'll talk about some green energy. We'll talk about the auto industry, the EV push, and so much more as the Bidens, the Democrats, look to try and convert everything to electric and make it clean energy. Lots more coming up. Welcome back into it. It is the Todd Stearns Radio Program. Andy Hoosier filling in today and tomorrow. I'll be back with you tomorrow as well. So stay tuned in. Keep it right here. we got a lot to talk about. Having fun and doing things on a bigger scale than what we ever like to. Right? And I think we're going to make it bigly. That's at least what we tell ourselves. Welcome back into it. 901-260-5926 at the Liberty University Studios. Moving them out to Wichita, Kansas today and tomorrow. So we have the $50 an hour minimum wage at least the push from Democrats in California, we have the Biden administration wanting to allow the Environmental Protection Agency to increase the production of electric vehicles to have by the year of 2032, 67% of all vehicles being sold be electric vehicles. I'm sure that auto workers that are now making 40 to $45 an hour after their strike would have something to say about losing their jobs to the EV industry which I find kind of interesting. What are businesses themselves saying about all this? What do they say? When when we hear about the Environmental Protection Agency or the Biden administration or all these other yahoos in Washington, D.C., and yes, I like to call them that for particular reasons, uh, what is business and private sector actually saying about some of this and the policies that are coming out? 
while we're going into an election year and a president that's running as if he's never been in office before. To talk about some of that, we go back to the Patriot Mobile Newsmaker Hotline, as we're happy to have on the program. He is the author of the book, Green Breakdown, The Coming Renewable Energy Failure. He's also the executive director of the Climate Science Coalition of America. Steve Gorham's on the line with us today. Steve, how are you, my friend? Hey, Andy, doing great. Great to join you. Yeah, it's great to have you on the program. I appreciate it very much. It's a fascinating uh, to watch these, watch watch the agenda of the Bidens, to watch the agenda of the Democrat Party when they push this so heavily, but yet for some reason, coincidentally, they back off it a little bit on the campaign trail. Is there a reason why they would not want to promote this while they're on the campaign trail talking to people and businesses? Yeah, well, we have been on the, on track to effectively ban all uh, gasoline vehicles. That's what the EPA is marching toward. They have both the carbon dioxide emissions uh, regulations and mileage regulations, and they're imposing those on the auto dealers. And come about 2035, it would be impossible for any auto company to produce a line of internal combustion engine cars. Now, they say they're going to back off on that, and uh, and uh, so they may ease up a little bit. It's an election year, of course. But the other thing that's happening is that the EV market has hit a speed bump. Uh, we've had a, a slowdown in sales. Uh, last quarter, uh, California EV sales declined for the first time in many years. They've declined in Germany. And we have Ford and GM. Uh, there's a dealer revolt going on right now. A bunch of the dealers don't want don't want to support EVs. And uh, GM is buying out those dealers, and Ford is kind of letting them go for now. But uh, we have an issue. The, the problems with the EVs are coming out. Uh, cold weather and range and charging and a lot of other things. And so the Biden administration, at least in this election year, is, is temporarily backing off. Yeah, what a concept. Well, I guess it's not popular. I guess we'll back off and not talk about it. But at the same time, it's not going anywhere. And if he becomes president again for another term or someone that may fill his shoes when Operation Joe Biden trips down the stairs while trying to tie his shoe commences and they end up putting in another candidate, possibly at the DNC convention in June, then we're still going to see this type of agenda uh, go through this push for ESG, which is both for the diversity and equity stuff, for the environmental stuff. This is what they've wanted, and this is what their main focus has been for years now, unfortunately. And with businesses beginning to push back a little bit, are we going to see a change? I mean, if, if the auto industry especially is going to be hit the hardest, we just saw an auto strike that happened a few months ago, raising up some wages, and then all of a sudden they're turning around and donating to Democrats that are trying to push for this that would get rid of their jobs. Yeah, well, the uh, the auto manufacturers are pulling back. They they want to slow down on EVs because they're losing piles of money. Ford lost uh, about sixty thousand dollars in electric vehicle last year, uh, four to five billion dollars. And Ford and GM are cutting back. But you mentioned the Wall Street firms and ESG. That's an, another new thing. Uh, BlackRock, J.P. Morgan, uh, Pimco, and other Wall Street firms have just announced uh, that they are pulling out of the. Uh, Climate 100 group, and um, they uh, so they pledged to do that a, a few years ago. And ESG really means getting rid of uh, coal, oil, and natural gas, getting rid of hydrocarbons. That's the biggest part of it. But they got a bunch of pressure from the states, from Texas, uh, from West Virginia, from Florida, saying if you're going to do this, uh, you know we're going to impose restrictions on on our investments in your funds. And then the other thing that's happening with with uh, 
of these companies is these renewable companies, their stocks are just plummeting. Uh, if, if your uh, listeners look at the Renix index, R-E-N-I-X-X, which is an index of the top 30 renewable firms in the world, that's been down for four years. That's down about 50%. And we have many, many examples of, of renewable companies just not doing very well. So, so yeah, these are early indications that we are seeing a green breakdown coming along. <laughs> we'll just have to see how it progresses. Yeah, and it sounds like it's progressing relatively quick. I mean, they try to inflate it, which the Democrat does oh so well. You know, the big government, let's sink money into it. Let's create all these grant programs. Let's sign off on tax breaks and so on and so forth. That it sounds great at first, and then it begins to collapse because at the end of the day, alternative energies, while they may be a good idea, are not sustainable or not a great replacement for what we have, which is, like you said, oil and natural gas and nuclear and so on and so forth, that uh, right now are still the most cost-effective and the most efficient that we have out there. We're talking with Steve Gorham. The Green Breakdown is his book. Uh, So let's talk about some of those, because right now, outside of just the auto industry, I mean, obviously the the other big story was the restaurant industry or people just wanting to have natural gas stoves. I have a gas stove in my home, but apparently we're not allowed to have those anymore as they want to overhaul buildings. They want to overhaul restaurants. They want to overhaul everybody to say, no, no. You have to have it electric because that natural gas is really bad. And all of a sudden they come out with a study saying that the fumes from natural gas could actually give you some type of mental disorder or make you sick in some way. Like, it's coincidence how that story came out at that convenient time, right? Yeah, it seems like those studies are nonsense. If you look at who's producing these studies about health issues with natural gas, it's not the medical industry by and large. It's the climate industry. It's all these folks that are against climate change that are coming up with these medical things. But you're right, we do have a war going on in the United States right now over gas appliances. There are about seven states, uh, California, Washington, Oregon, New York, Massachusetts, I think Maryland, that are allowing cities and counties to ban a natural gas in new construction. But we also have 19 states that have passed laws saying that uh, Mr. Uh, Mayor of the city and uh, county, you cannot uh, tell people what, what energy they have to use in their homes. And it started with uh, uh, Berkeley, the city of Berkeley in California, 2018, banned natural gas in, two constru- in uh, new construction. But the Ninth Circuit Court on the West Coast actually turned overturned that ruling. The restaurant owners of the of uh, California they want to keep their gas uh, stoves, and they sued Berkeley. And the Ninth Circuit ruled in their favor, said uh, these bans violate the 1975 federal energy law. So we do have this war going on with gas stoves, and it's all—it's all—you know—it's all, it's all, you know, it's all uh, uh, evolves around the idea that if we all drive electric cars and we all have uh, electric stoves, we're going to stop the oceans from rising, <laughs> which should be classified as modern superstition. Yeah, I don't know how that makes any sense, but at least that's in the warped mind of a progressive that's pushing for some of these agendas. And then it takes it to the next level, which they always have to go here. I don't understand it. It makes my face hurt just a little bit when we uh, look at how far that they're willing to go to abuse those that don't go along with their agenda. But I was reading a study earlier from uh, actually the Brookings Institute where they say that there's a case for reparations for minorities in the United States because of climate change. And because climate change is affecting the minority communities more so than anyone else, we have Hillary Clinton out there herself saying that we need to do a count of deaths that have been done by climate change. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, what the heck, man? I didn't even know we got this far. I didn't know that it was affecting just, you know, minorities in, in the country. What the heck? 
Well, that's the latest big scare, I think, from the climate community. We're going to start counting deaths. If you remember COVID-19, you could look online every day and see a breakdown of cases and deaths for every uh, state and every country around the world daily. Well, the the climate folks want to do the same thing. And, and Ms. Clinton has called for us to start counting climate deaths. Uh, she claims that uh, we had about 500,000 people die from heat waves last year. And there was recently a study that came out from the uh, Nature Medicine. A guy by the name of Colin Carlson said that we've had 4 million climate deaths since the year 2000, about 200,000 a year. But if you look at what he's counting, he's counting diarrheal diseases and, and malarial diseases in developing nations. And he's counting heart attacks as a climate death. So if you count, if you count a heart attack as a climate death, you can count anything as a climate death. <laughs> Hold on, wait a second. But, so we're counting heart attacks as a climate death, but we're yeah, not counting right. the increase in blood clots in the United States as a COVID death? That seems strange to me. Yeah, well, there's all sorts of this stuff, though. But if you look at the actual data, uh, there's a group called MDAT. Uh, the emergency, uh, uh, the disaster database, which has been tracking deaths from disasters, uh, floods, droughts, hurricanes, earthquakes, other things, and global deaths from disasters have been decreased about 95% in the last century. Famine also is down. We used to have about 10 million people die every decade from famine in the early uh, late 1800s, early 1900s. That's down to about 200,000 a decade. So the case for uh, climate causing more deaths is going to be very, very difficult to show. Yeah, well, and of course, capitalism is, of course, the ultimate evil for this, because with all that competition, with the manufacturing, with everything that we do here, even though that, yes, we may uh, consume a lot of resources, but we're also the most efficient at it because we're a first world country, not a third world country, because of our competition and our capitalism, that we're enemy number one, which is what the global elites, the World Health Organization and the U.N. and everybody else says that, we need to start shying away from capitalism because we've created this disaster. Uh, Steve, I'm pretty sure that we're not at the top of the list for those that are actually contributing to harming the earth when it comes to polluting oceans or smog. I mean, we have our issues and we can always fine tune it, sure, but we're not at the top of that list globally, are we? No, the uh, the uh, pollutants in the United States and the wealthy nations are down, air and water pollutants. But that's what we really need to concentrate on. We need to concentrate on problems with the air, problem with the water, um, carbon monoxide, uh, sulfur dioxide, those sorts of things. Those are real pollutants we need to continue to reduce. But this idea that carbon dioxide is a problem, uh, that's just where we've gotten way off base. And by the way, you mentioned the United Nations. They've had two big goals for the last uh, couple decades. One is redistributing wealth globally, and now their uh, top climate official, Simon Steele, is calling for, for torrents of climate cash to be redistributed between the wealthy nations, the U.S., to the developing nations. And they've also, they also want a one-world government, and they think uh, climate change is a great way to, to uh, put that into place. Uh, Jacques Chirac, uh, president of France, said the, the first climate, uh, uh, global climate meetings were the first example of world government. So there's a lot of ulterior motives from, from this whole push for climatism and the fear of uh, man-made warming. 
Well, it is a concern we have to have. Last question for you, Steve, before we let you go, and I appreciate it very much. But as Wall Street begins to back off and as the stocks begin to go down and as this push for environmentalism and the EVs and this entire industry begins to collapse on its feet, what's the next step? How do they continue to inflate this to push it further when it's becoming unpopular and unsuccessful in the private industry? Uh, where do they go from here and what should we expect from them in the next, uh, it, God forbid, that they contain uh, power for the next four years? Well, it is going to be a tremendous battle for a long time. The, uh, the ideology of climatism still has a tremendous grip on uh, our industry, our financial institutions, many of our governments. Uh, we're going to have to overturn that. That's where I talk about in Green Breakdown, the coming renewable energy failure. And uh, it talks about the complete uh, energy transition, uh, power plants, home appliances, uh, electric vehicles, heavy industry, uh, aircraft ships and how that's going to break down. So it's a a great book for people to to uh, read and find out what they need to do uh, uh, to push back on our leaders. Yeah, we got a lot of work to do, and we need to be aware of the issue before we can actually fix it. You need to know it's broken before you can actually tweak it. It is the Green Breakdown, the coming renewable energy failure. He's also the director of the Climate Science Coalition of America. Steve, it's great to talk to you again, my friend. Let's do it again soon. Thank you, Andy. Hey, appreciate it very much. Right back here on the Todd Starnes Radio Show. Show 901-260-5926. Thanks again to Steve Gorham joining the program. I've never heard of the term until just recently known as environmental racism. <laughs> environmental racism. If you are an individual of a minority descent, then you probably have endured not just racism in this nation, but now you've now had to endure environmental Racism, And that's according to the Brookings Institute. Oh, yes. The senior research associate, uh, Manon Donoghue, enveloped in the term, quote, environmental racism. Communities of color are overexposed to these climate-related harms, despite bearing little responsibility for them. Whoa. Okay. I just want to put this into perspective for you. As far as I'm aware... And I could be wrong here, so don't quote me. You know, I'm just, you know, some right-wing nutjob on the radio, right? But... Let's just break this down for a second. If I remember correctly, that a first world country is more efficient at utilizing resources than a third world country, right? We have better technology. We have better things. We can actually seal our homes better. So therefore, we're not wasting as much energy. So therefore, our energy costs are going to be lower and so on and so forth. So let's just put that in perspective, right? First world countries, more efficient than third world countries. Third world countries, you have a lot of leaks. Maybe things don't burn as efficiently. Maybe your electric company doesn't quite have things underway to where it's as efficient for whatever reason. Efficiency and cost effectiveness here is what we're looking at. If that's the case between a first world country and a third world country, I could assume, although I guess if you assume, then you know what that means for you and I, but we can assume and come to a generalization that if you have a more expensive home or live in a quote-unquote ritzy area compared to a not-so-ritzy area or maybe a place that's beginning to fall apart, maybe an older area that hasn't been upkept or whatever the situation may be, that I'm assuming that the new home would be more energy efficient. If that's the case, then we can look at different communities. Now, we're not obviously saying that only people that are certain skin colors live in certain communities, and I know that people are Democrats are going to be like, oh, that's what he's saying to say, because that's stupid. 
But you make those general assumptions, so we're going to go off your ridiculous, absurd assumptions here right now. Because every there's a melting pot. We're not in a mosaic here. This is really stupid in the, the fact that we even have to have this conversation. But nonetheless, if you're going to look at, let's say, an inner city of Chicago compared to the suburbs of Washington, D.C., where Barack Obama lives, I'm assuming his house is probably more energy efficient than someone that's living in the slums or in the inner city areas of the city of Chicago. And if that's the case, therefore, they're not as efficient with their energy usage. So now you're saying that they don't have any responsibility for the environmental issues, and therefore it's racist for them because they're victims. My brain hurts. I don't understand this logic. Can we just come to the conclusion that people, not certain groups, but people live in different environments? And the best way to try and make sure that you're cost efficient so you're not wasting money for your energy company would be to try and seal your home or try to invest a little bit to where you could use it as cost effective as possible. And that right now, the United States overall globally is still not at the top of the list for those that are wasting resources, ones that are polluting the environment, the ones that are destroying the environment, although we're footing most of the bill at the global level in the United Nations to take care of a lot of these programs. But we don't hear about that in the mainstream media. We just hear about how terrible we are as the United States, while India is dumping massive amounts of pollutants into the oceans, while China is creating smog beyond belief. We don't look at them. Because United States, those evil capitalist United States of Americans, they're the ones destroying the globe with their use of capitalism and efficient technology. My brain hurts a little bit. Lots more coming up. Stay here. From the Liberty University studio in Memphis, Tennessee, it's America's favorite gun-toting, Bible-clinging, deplorable American. That's us. That's right. I love this American right. Todd Starnes. Oh, yeah. Indeed, it is. Welcome into the Todd Starnes radio program. No, it's not Todd Starnes. He is out for... A while, I think, for the entire week. I'm here with you, yours truly, Andy Hoosier, filling in for the Todd Starnes Radio Program, moving the Liberty University Studios to Wichita, Kansas, for today and tomorrow. I'm broadcasting out of my flagship station, KQAM, in Wichita, Kansas, so great to be able to do so. Such an honor to fill in for Todd Starnes, as always. Love doing it, Todd. Always appreciate the opportunity and to have some fun on the program. We've had a heck of a program so far. And so much more to get to, so strap in, buckle up, and let's have some fun here. 901-260-5926, if you want to jump on the program with me. 901-260-5926. Want to hear from you? We, <laughs> Oh, man. I, I, Sorry, I have to start off the program. Can I start off this hour with a joke? Can we do it? I have my... I have it ready, so no, not yet. Not yet. We got to do this the proper way. Here's the headline from Breitbart News right now. The media defends Biden's age and, quote, poor memory, now saying it's accusing of the accusing them of, quote, ageism pushed by the right wing media. (laughs) There it is. There it is. The ageism. They are sick and tired of hearing about how Joe Biden is old and decrepit. Come on, man. And I also am sick and tired of everybody talking about his age. (laughs) Yeah. Welcome back to it. This is nuts. Bottom of the hour, we have Danny Katz on the program. Uh, really looking forward to chatting with her. I've had her on my show a few times. She is a wonderful individual and the author of the book, The Language of Betterarchy. 
We talk about language. We talk about words and the actual, you know, significance and meaning of words is especially now when we see this hyperbolic move in politics. And we've seen it for a while, but it only escalates now. Donald Trump's going to kill his opponents and execute them when he gets into office. He's a Nazi and a fascist. And everybody that's associated with Donald Trump is also some type of terrorist in America where this election is now about democracy or totalitarianism, which is what the Biden administration has now set this stage up to be for 2024. Speaking of the elections, uh, we are a week away now from the South Carolina primary, the third primary in the nation. I'd say primary open-endedly. We have the caucus in Iowa. We have the primary in New Hampshire. Now we have South Carolina coming up as the third, technically the fourth one after Nevada that happened a week or so ago as well. So we're coming up on the next major one in South Carolina. Which, by the way, today is also the uh, first day for early voting in the state of Georgia is that election is set for March 19th. So all of you down in Georgia, you now have the ability to go and vote early if you choose to do early voting as well. And according to the headlines, they say that right now uh, roughly 16,000 people have voted for the first day in the Georgia primary, just about on track from what we've seen in previous presidential races as well. That being said, all eyes are on South Carolina. And with Donald Trump leading by leaps and bounds in these polls right now for the state of uh, South Carolina, I have to ask you the question of at what point does Nikki Haley just admit that she cannot beat Donald Trump, that there is way too much momentum and that he's going to be the default Republican nominee, whether people want him to be or not. Obviously, we're favorable to him on this program. But if you're not okay, then that's fine, too. But there's a line between trying to hold on to dead dreams and then actually accepting reality of the fact that this is not going to happen for someone like Nikki Haley. Now she's banking on South Carolina, number one, because that's her home state. So she's hoping to get a little bit of a boost there, which is not going too well right now when she's down 60 to 38 in the latest national poll hat tip to Newsmax for that study. And if she's low and if she's down that much in her home state, then what do you do? about that what do you do to try to correct that well the only thing you can do is try to ask for help in other places that's all you can do right you have to ask for the help in other places that you normally don't ask help for and that would be of course the democrat party or south carolina is of course an open primary state and she's apparently getting a decent amount of money coming from democrats in that state getting a decent amount of support from democrats in that state to even hold on to that 38 percent range now, for those that don't know, South Carolina being an open primary state means that you may be registered to one party or the other, but you can vote for one primary or the other based on your preference. There's a few different ways that primaries can be done. There are the caucus, like the Hawkeye Cockeye, if you remember that term. I haven't heard someone use that term in a long time, actually, but growing up in Ohio in that area, that was always about the Hawkeye Cockeye was always the name they used for that. I said that on my radio program a few weeks ago. My wife looked at me and she's like, what are you? What are you talking about? The Hawkeye Caucus, the caucus, where the Republican Party, the Democrat parties actually hold their own, quote unquote, primaries. They hold it. It's not done by the secretary of state. It's not done by the state government. It's done by the individual parties that are holding their own. And you have to be registered and a member of that party in order to go and vote. Then you have New Hampshire. That's like a primary. Then we had Nevada. That was like both because. The parties wanted to not do their own. Well, I take that back. The Democrats didn't want to do their own, so they did a state primary. But the Republican Party didn't like the fact that the Democrats were doing that, so they ended up holding their own caucus at the same time. And Donald Trump blew past both of them 
Like, big time. In fact, he wasn't even on the ballot for the primary that didn't count because the Republican Party held their caucus a couple days afterwards. And even not being on the ballot, Donald Trump ended up dominating that race against Nikki Haley by like 60% of the vote. It was insane with the none category that ended up winning that one. She wasn't on the caucus on Thursday, and then he ended up dominating that with like 98% of the vote. So we see the momentum for Donald Trump building and building. At what point do you concede as a Republican candidate? At what point do you recognize that you're not going to win this primary process? And to look for the aid of Democrats really shows not only the mindset of the candidacy and of the of the candidate itself and the team, where they're desperate to look for outside help, but they realize that right now we're in a primary process, not a general election. And look, I've said this many times before, I'm sure that Todd Starnes agrees with me as well, that the primary election is probably the most important election that we can have. I'm here to tell you, and this may ruffle some feathers for individuals, and I understand why my generation, the millennial generation, are ones that are very much into the wicked, wild, independent, free thinking, so they don't like the two-party system. And I understand that concept. I get it. I'm not a big fan of the two-party system either. However, we have one. And in order to fix that, you have to be part of that system to fix it as opposed to going outside because you cannot get the numbers and the vote and the support that you need from outside of that mindset to actually change it, although they are trying. And I will say that there is one that will probably be an upset in this election we'll talk about in just a moment. But nonetheless, right now we have a two-party system. I remember when I first started in radio and I interned for a guy, I've said this story before, I've interned for an individual uh, by the name of Mike Rosen. He was out of the great uh, 850 KOA in Denver, Colorado. Wonderful individual. Uh, he was the big kahuna. He had filled in for Rush Limbaugh a couple of times throughout his career. He retired, unfortunately, a couple of years ago, but I had the honor to study under him when I first started getting into radio broadcasting. And he had written a piece that was one of the most controversial things that anybody had heard at that time, where he wrote an article that was about party over person, where in the general election, it's party over person because of the special interests, because of the money, because of the influence that they have, that the individual can only do so much, but but with a party behind them, they can actually be somewhat productive in a governmental process. And I understood what he was saying, but I wanted to take it a bit further where we focus on the primary and how the primary election is the most important. Because while it may be a party over person in the general election, the primary is where you decide what that person is going to be, who it's going to be, what platform they're going to stand on and how they properly represent the party, which is why we're seeing the chaos that we're seeing in the Republican Party right now with Mike Johnson finally having a secretary of state or a, a, a speaker of the House that is willing to stand up for Republican values and a Mitch McConnell that falls asleep during press conferences and fights against the Republican Party half the time and uh, stands for essentially the establishment wishy-washy rhino Republicanism that's in the party. Why? Because we don't stand up and we don't do anything to change that in a primary process. I would still rather have a Mitch McConnell in the general election as opposed to a Democrat, but I really don't want him to be the nominee. So can we fix that before that happens? It's kind of like the whole abortion issue. I want choice. You can have a choice. The choice is beforehand, not afterwards. And I think that's what we have to remember in election season as well, because The choice is beforehand in the primary, not in the general election when we're trying to go between a Republican and a Democrat candidate. That's where we have to make this choice. And right now, Nikki Haley apparently has forgotten that we're in a Republican primary, 
but that we're in a somewhat general election, hoping that an open primary in South Carolina is going to pull her to victory and keep her in this race against Donald Trump when he's still up 60 to 38 in this great state of South Carolina. So your thoughts, is she going to bow out? Is she going to make a change? Is she going to do something different? Or is she going to continue on with this somewhat slightly entertaining campaign of just two grumpy old men, which I get, that's a clever campaign tactic, but it doesn't really solve anything. And looking for the help of Democrats in a primary says more about her platform in winning over Democrats than it is actually embracing the conservatives that she supposedly represents in a Republican Party. Let's go to the phones here, shall we? 901-260-5926, 901-260-5926. Let's go to Dave from North Carolina on WTKF. Dave, what's going on, my friend? How are you? Hey, uh, well... I want to reiterate a point that I made a while back with Todd. Um, I really don't care about, and I'm going to hit a couple things real quick. I don't care about minimum wage in California because the, the People's Republic of California is on their own program. <laughs> um, the the thing about Nikki Haley, and I've been listening to her. I listened to the town halls yesterday and stuff. Um, had to do something else in the gym. And I, I listened to it. She's saying more than you guys are reporting, and and you're right. You are a pro-Trump station, and it seems like a lot of the conservative talk show hosts are worshiping at the altar of Trump. And the thing is, we're nowhere near November. We're we're just, things can change in an hour. And I think that, you know, I've watched everybody come up before DeSantis even said he was a candidate. People were tearing him down, and he's terrible. We've got to go with Trump. And the thing is, Everybody's so busy tearing down everybody who isn't Trump in the Republican Party that the Democrat, I, I see us in great danger come the election day because the Democrats don't have to say that they did or will do anything. All they got to do is keep saying, see, even the conservative talk show hosts say Nikki Haley's no good, Ron DeSantis is no good. And then when Trump chokes on a chicken bone or goes to jail or whatever, any any little thing that'll make it questionable, and he starts losing the independent voters, which is a threat. The thing is, everybody's going to say, "Well, see, they said nobody else is any good except Trump." We're, nobody's leaving an option, and I think that Nikki Haley is smart for staying in. And, and I do not agree with a lot of what she has to say. But here's here's my question to you: Don't you think that Nikki Haley would be better than Joe Biden? Well, of course you would be better than Joe Biden. I would definitely support okay. whatever Republican candidate comes out at the end of the day. Here's here's what I will say, because you're right. There is a need for, I guess, and I say this more from a psychological standpoint, a need for another candidate to, uh, to begin to see what the mindset is to win over. Look, at the end of the day, we see Donald Trump dominating the polls. And among Republican voters, he's still up near three quarters of uh, three quarters of the entire Republican caucus that's supporting Donald Trump. So he more than likely right now will be the nominee unless something crazy absolutely happens. Uh, as for the tearing of the party, look, the, the Republican Party's done that forever. We beat ourselves up more than we do the Democrats and focus on the other side of the aisle. And Democrats usually walk uh, hand in hand and actually sing Kumbaya together. We've seen them begin to start doing the same thing over the past few years as well, especially when Bernie Sanders jumped in the last two electoral cycles and kind of ruffled those feathers, which is why you saw the Bernie Sanders socialists being kicked out of the DNC conventions and had to be held off by offense, which I found kind of ironic. But you're right. Republicans do beat each other up pretty drastically to move forward. 
Donald Trump and the Republicans have to find a way to try and win over some of the independent votes. And maybe that's a Nikki Haley. I don't know if that's necessarily the, the best choice for that. Uh, but there's there needs to be a way to to try and win them over because there is a large percentage of independent voters that aren't voting Republican or supporting Trump in this. And we have to win at least a portion of them over in order to win the general election. But at the end of the day, we're still a primary where three quarters, so close to 60, 70 percent of Republicans overwhelmingly support Trump. And it would be more efficient for us as a party to centralize our targets, not on each other, but on the other side. And a way to do that is to unify as a party, including someone like Nikki Haley, who's decided to uh, definitely tear apart Donald Trump every chance she gets by saying that he's just as old and senile as Joe Biden, which I don't think is helping the cause at all. Now, of course, Donald Trump makes his snarky comments as well, and that's Trump. So Republicans, we just we like to beat each other up. But I I like to use the analogy of Republicans are kind of like that Italian family, right? You're at the dinner table. There's yelling, screaming. They're smacking on the back of the head. What are you doing over there? You know, they do their thing. But when you try to mess with them outside of the family, then you have to deal with the entire family as a whole. And I do agree that Republicans probably need to do a little bit better at that. And Nikki Haley would be better than Joe Biden, but the Republican Party doesn't want Nikki Haley. Dave, I appreciate it. we got to take a break here, my friend. 901-260-5926 if you want to jump on the program. Lots more coming up here on the Todd Sarns Radio Show. Stay here. It is the Todd Sarns Radio Show. Andy Hoosier filling in. I love this argument that Republicans need to go with the safe candidate, that Republicans need to have that alternative from Donald Trump. He's the radical and that uh, the conservative talk radio is just waving the flag for Trump. Look, I mean, yeah, we'd like Donald Trump. We liked his policy. I liked his policies for the most part. I'm not completely unlike he's the greatest thing in the world. He had some issues. I, I would disagree on a few of his policies as well, because he's an individual and a human just like everybody else. But overall, I think he did a great job. And we need to be careful as a Republican Party about finding the quote-unquote safe candidate that can widen the umbrella and appeal to as many people as possible. And while that's true and necessary in an election, we can see how well that worked every single time that we've tried that policy, that practice. John McCain, my fringe, my fringe is straight talk express. Remember that? Not to make fun of him, God bless him for all the service that he did. Was not a fan of him being in the Senate, and he was a horrible presidential candidate. Let's just acknowledge that. He was the, supposed to be the safe bet, the George Bush 2.0, the middle-of-the-road guy that can work across the aisles. He was friends with both Republicans and Democrats. He was going to be great. Ended up getting clobbered from Barack Obama. Then what do we do? Let's go safe again. Let's widen it even further. Let's put on Mitt Romney as the presidential candidate in 2012. And we saw the lowest Republican voter turnout that we've seen in a very long time because he didn't excite anybody. What happened? Then we brought on Donald Trump as the candidate, and boom. We surprised everyone, the shock and awe system, and we ended up winning in 2016 because of the fact that he was the outsider, he said what was on his mind, and that he was uh, not necessarily conservative, but he was a conservative populist, which is another conversation for another time. And he was different from the normal politician that was going to be the business guy that looked out for the little guy and the blue-collar worker. And now all of a sudden we want to go back to the safe person who's getting the money from the Democrats to be the safe candidate for the Republicans who can apparently appeal to the broader audience for independents and Democrats and moderates and so on and so forth. When are we going to learn our lesson, Republicans? When are we going to learn the lesson that just going for the safe bet is the way that we always fail in the way that we've allowed the establishment to do what they've done? Nikki Haley, while yes, I would take her over a Joe Biden, can't really win the election 
And if she does, tell me exactly what she's going to do differently than any Democrat that's in there while she's trying to play that middle of the road fence. I mean, I don't I don't understand. Are we going to stand on principle or are we not? What are we doing here? And while we do bicker amongst ourselves, and I think sometimes we bicker a little bit too much, that's what makes our party healthy. As we challenge each other, we square off against each other, and we challenge our ideas to be able to make our ideas better as opposed to those top-down marching orders than we get from the Democrat Party because they don't challenge each other. And the time that they did, they shut that down pretty quick with Bernie Sanders and those uh, on the fringe, except for AOC, who's just kind of a thorn in their side. We got lots more coming up. Danny Katz around the corner as we move through this program. It's the Todd Starnes Radio Show. Andy Hoosier filling in. We have so much more to talk about right here on the Todd Starnes Radio Show. Stay here. Welcome back into it. It is the Todd Starnes Radio Program. Andy Hoosier filling in from Wichita, Kansas, moving the Liberty University studios out to the middle of the country. Not to take anything away from Memphis, Tennessee and his flagship station out there. What an amazing crew, amazing people. Appreciate you guys and everything that you're doing. Todd, always a pleasure. I love being able to fill in here and appreciate the opportunity as always. 901-260-5926 if you want to jump on the program. Uh, interesting conversation about the general election, the primary election as we move forward. And again, look, I remind you that if you don't want a certain candidate to be your candidate for your party, then show up and make that voice heard. Show up and vote in the primary election. That's the reason that we have this process. While some, and again, you can agree or disagree with it, but while it's party over person in the general election, the primary election is about setting that tone for the party, your candidacy, and what you want them to stand for. And we, as Republicans, especially as a conservative, I we do a very poor job, in my opinion, of almost beating ourselves up too much and not focusing so much on the other side of the aisle. I don't know if I'm sure you've heard the news that the no labels party with the lingering rumor of Joe Manchin and Mitt Romney. <laughs> I know that was the ticket that they were considering Joe Manchin and Mitt Romney together running for the no labels party that fell through. Apparently shortly after the announcement that Mitt Romney would be that potential VP candidate on the ticket. Joe Manchin said that he is respectfully declined that no labels party and running. So now, according to Newsmax.com, that they are looking for now, quote, exceptional leaders for presidential runs, meaning they don't have anybody else in store for what they could potentially do for that party, which, okay, I don't know how much of an influence they would have had in the general election. Not quite sure exactly what angle or what pathway to victory they could have potentially seen with a Joe Manchin because he does appeal to some moderate Democrats. He does appeal to not necessarily Republicans, but they did respect him for stopping some of the Biden administration's agenda while they still say that Joe Biden is like the 14th most successful president, which is hilarious to look at some of these studies. But Joe Manchin, while he had his purpose in stopping the radical progressive agenda, he doesn't really have a pathway to anything of substance in the presidential run. Then you throw in Mitt Romney, which again brought in the lowest Republican voter turnout in 2012 when he ran for president, shows that that would not have been a winning ticket overall at all. We'll talk some more about that a little bit later, but I want to shift gears and go back to the Patriot Mobile Newsmaker Hotline one more time today as well. I love this conversation. I've chatted with her a few times on my own radio program, and I had to bring her on when uh, when we got the chance to fill in for Todd here on his show with the Todd Stearns radio show. She is the author of the book, The Language of Betterarchy, as we talk about words and 
how words actually matter and some of the hyperbolic statements that are being made in the political realm today. Excited to have on the program, Danny Katz. Danny, how are you today? I'm great, Andy. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, it's so good to chat with you again. I always love our conversations, and I I had to bring you on because I'm seeing headline after headline after headline in the media today of, uh, of course, a few weeks ago where the media said that if Donald Trump won the presidency again, that he would execute his political opponents and become a complete totalitarian. That we see right now that, of course, anybody that supports Donald Trump or even as a Republican that, that were racist, that were Nazis, that were fascists, and that we are the threat to democracy. The Biden administration has now said that this election is not about right versus left, Republican versus Democrat, uh, red versus blue, but it's about preserving democracy or destroying democracy. I'm sensing some slight hyperbolic statements in the media today. What do you think, Danny? Uh, lots of hyperbole and lots of projection because it seems like that seems like that's what's been happening under his administration. But <laughs> yeah, they're using like the most extreme language dialed up to like level one thousand to like amp up people's cortisol as much as humanly possible, which only shuts down people's critical thinking and has this making like extreme emotional emergency decisions like, oh, let's vote for this Biden guy. Yeah. Does it work? Does that I know I know that for a while obviously the, the fear mongering works in politics, which is why you get people emotionally charged to go and do something. And in politics, and I will grant on both sides of the aisle, you know, with a lot of the negative campaign aids that we see from both sides a lot of times, it is that fear do you want socialism to take over? Do you want, you know, conservatives to kick out poor people off Medicaid programs or whatever? Like it's the fear based politics to drive you to the polls. But when you dial the knob up to 11, like we've seen now against Donald Trump, does it is it really effective or is it least effective this early in the game when that type of fear based paranoia gets fatiguing very easily? Well, in my mind, it seems like it would be way overkill and that, like, this exaggerated extent of hyperbole wouldn't work. But I'm calling only a couple of years ago when everyone in my town was wearing diapers in, on their faces. So it seems <laughs> like that tactic does work. Um, it might just be, like, you know, decades of indoctrination. I don't know, you know, what they're putting in people's drinking water. But I'm, I'm shocked to see some of this stuff work. It's, it's bizarre because we see people deferring to the rhetoric coming through their screens instead of their lived experience where, you know, people who voted for Trump aren't psychopathic mass murderers, you know, or just like average humans. Um, but there seems to be some sort of disconnect in terms of whatever kind of mind viruses they're front-loading into their propaganda, into their languaging. I keep waiting for the populace to wake up, but I'm getting a little bit impatient. Yeah, you and me as well. I'm, I'm getting impatient because this is getting out of control. And while we hear these terms constantly, Nazi, racist, fascist, yada, 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 does it really water down the value of these words? Because I remember growing up as a kid, and I mean, I'm 35, I'm a millennial, but when I remember hearing the term of a, you know, a racist or someone who was a socialist or a Nazi, like those were terrifying words. This weekend, for the first time, my daughter watched The Sound of Music. At nine years old, I called her Little Voice of Reason. My radio show is called The Voice of Reason. I call her Little Voice of Reason. She watched The Sound of Music, and she got to the part 
where we were watching the Nazis try to get the Von Trapp family and the captain, the, the dad, the main character, into actually coming into the Nazi uh, stuff. And I sat there and I paused the movie and I broke down a little bit, just like an introductory of that time era and World War II. And nowadays, it's like when we see that, it's terrifying. We see that swastika. It's terrifying to think about it now. It's in normal day conversation thrown out there every time that Donald Trump's name is mentioned. Has this watered down the meaning and the value of these words? Absolutely. I mean, when you when you said that they were that Biden was claiming that Trump would execute his political opponents, I'm thinking, well, how have they changed the definition of the word execute? Obviously, they're dealing with a much different definition than you and I are operating with because Donald Trump hasn't executed anyone, nor does it seem like he would. I think it's unfortunate because it does, like the way that these words are being overused, misused, wielded around so recklessly is it takes any gravitas away from those words. So when we're dealing with people who are victims of real deal rape, now that word doesn't mean anything. When we're talking about real deal instances of racism, no one can even raise an eyebrow because now that word just means someone who has an opinion I don't like. Um, So it's unfortunate, and I think it's really damaging to our larger, you know, cultural discourse, because when those words actually are appropriate, they no longer have the power that they used to have, because they're just rolling off people's tongues so recklessly um, when they really don't apply. It's so sad to see. Yeah, it's very sad to see. It's very sad that we've gotten to this point and so easily influenced with the, that we're that gullible to listen to that and say, wow, Donald Trump must be like a child-eating racist or something out there. We're talking with uh, Danny Katz, the author of the book, The Language of Better Archie, A Blueprint for Uniting Against Tyranny. On the other side, let's go to the other flip of the coin and talk about conservatives, the Republican Party, for just a moment. And I'll be the first to admit that Republicans probably have the worst time at messaging to the voters. It's sending a message. We seem to campaign horribly in many cases. I've seen it firsthand multiple times. And while we have these great platforms, talk radio, podcasting, you know, a few TV outlets like Newsmax and some of the other ones that are actually promoting conservative agendas, that when it comes to actually getting voters excited, emotionally riled up to go and vote, sometimes we do not do a good job at messaging. On the same front, when it's reaching new crowds, Donald Trump for the first time is reaching out to, you know, inner city communities and, and traditionally black communities that don't normally hear about Republican values. Republicans have fallen horribly and have failed miserably at trying to reach an appeal to new demographics and winning them, uh, winning them over with a conservative message. So, Danny, my, my question to you is how can a Republican Party, how can the, the conservative movement use words in a way to actually better articulate and better message what we're about to win people over. Because I truly believe that when conservatism is explained and we pitch it to somebody, that it wins the argument every single time. But apparently we're not doing a good job at spreading that message. I think it's twofold. So I think first and foremost, we have to get out of the right-left conservative-Republican paradigm because I hear so many you know, conservatives or or even Democrats seeking sane, logical ideas. But then they'll cap them off with like, well, but the liberals think, or but the liberals won't go for it. And right then and there, people who would have been otherwise open to the ideas are now being shut down because they've been called out as the enemy. So I think first and foremost, we need to take any of those labels out of the conversation. And then what I would love to see the conservatives do is just talk about your ideas. 
Talk yeah. about your up-leveled vision for America. Talk about the betterment that your policies will create and let us feel into those vibrations and be excited by those vibrations and inspired by those vibrations and those visions and start, you know, aligning for a better vision instead of against a terrible vision. Because we're talking about the things that aren't working. We're just bringing the subconscious mind down to the level of what is working and everyone's bummed out. But when we're talking about how things could work better and the ways that things will work better and how we'll all be well served when we implement these policies that will make things better, now we're in the frequency of those solutions and everyone's excited and we can stay there. But then again, if we're in the frequency of those solutions and then there's this like thrown in kind of backhanded, but those stupid Democrats, those dumb liberals, we've just lost so much steam. You know, I, I challenge all of us to raise the level of the discourse, get out of that punitive, low vibe, blaming, shaming, you know, leave that to the Dems. And let's just start talking about our brilliant ideas for how to make this country better and stay like tenaciously devoted to those visions and yeah. keep speaking into how much better things are going to be. I think that will make a world of difference. Well, running a positive campaign. I mean, that's essentially what it is. I, I, I'm reminded by Ronald Reagan when he ran for re-election in the 80s, and he won 49 states out of the 50 states because he ran a positive campaign. It was pro-American. People are happy. People are living their lives. Things are going well. And we're going to continue on this trend. And he ended up dominating and walking away with that election. He didn't have to go negative. He didn't have to attack anybody. It was that positiveness of, hey, let's just live life and be happy here. And he ended up dominating. Exactly, because that's really what we all want. Like, we don't want to sit in the frequency of the problem and talk about who's to blame and how sucky everything is. Like, that's not inspiring anyone. And, and lastly, and this is a little bit off of your question, but I would challenge anyone running for, for president to do away with the Patriot Act and let that be the guiding principle of your campaign and watch everyone converge in your favor. Yeah, we talked earlier about a lot of the uh, the censoring, the silencing, the collection of data from us. And when we see the government being used against us with a lot of our administrations and our in our agencies, the FBI, the CIA, and what they're doing to watch us, that's another telltale sign. That's why Donald Trump is so popular. That's why Vivek Ramaswamy is dominating on the campaign trail for someone like Donald Trump, calling out that establishment. And that's why even those third-party candidates like RFK Jr., are raising eyebrows and are winning a lot of people over, calling out some of the corruption going on and saying, let's reset that system. Let's give people back their power. It is Danny Katz, The Language of Betterarchy. You can visit it on on, uh, her website, also on Amazon and other places as well. The Language of Betterarchy, a blueprint for uniting against tyranny. Danny, it's always great to talk to you, my friend. Appreciate it very much. we got to do it again soon. Thanks, Andy. I'd love that. Have a great day. You as well. Always a pleasure. Got to take a break. One more segment right around here on the Todd Starnes radio program. Stay right here. Welcome back into the last few minutes here of the Todd Sarns Radio Program. Well done on the bump music. I like that. Feeling the 90s vibe, baby. That's my gym. Trying to make me feel old now. Did you know that the, some of that 90s music now is playing on some of the oldie stations or the, I'm sorry, classic stations? Yeah. Uh, makes me feel so old. I uh, want to tell you about our friends over at Mike Lindell and My Pillow. As you know, my friend, Todd's friend, Mike Lindell has a passion to help everyone get the best sleep of your life. 
And he didn't stop by simply creating the best pillow. Mike created the Giza Dream bed sheets. Yeah, they look and feel great, which means an even better night's sleep for me and you, which is crucial for the busy schedule. Mike found the world's best cotton called Giza. It's ultra soft and breathable, but extremely durable. Mike's Giza sheets come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. The Dream Sheets come in a variety of sizes and colors with Mike's latest incredible deal that's on the sale of the year for right now. A limited time only, you'll receive 50% off the Giza Dream Sheets. You'll receive a set for as low as $29.98. Right? Say what? I know. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio podcast square, and use the promo code STARNS. S-T-A-R-N-E-S. Then you'll find not only this amazing offer, but also deep discounts on all of the MyPillow products, including the MyPillow 2.0 mattress topper, the MyPillow kitchen towel sets, and now even the flannel sheets, along with so much more. My wife loves the flannel sheets. We have some of those at home myself. Call 1-800-839-8506. Again, 1-800-839-8506. Use the promo code STARNS. Go to MyPillow.com. Make sure you use the promo code Starns. Thanks again to Danny Katz coming on the program. Very fascinating conversation about the use of words. And again, it's all psychology on how you relate to people, how you can win individuals over. And Republicans have had a very hard time doing that, I think, for a long time. I'm not talking about the active, like you and I, conservative Republican that's going out and voting, but the new uh, the new voter, the young generation, maybe the ones that never hear a Republican candidate in their life, ever. And we have to win them over. We have to find a way to widen that base. But we don't widen the base by just compromising on our values, because how well does that work? John McCain failed miserably. Mitt Romney failed miserably. We don't do that. We widen the base by expanding and actually teaching what conservative policies and principles are all about. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Life, liberty, and private property. The three pillars of conservatism that I talk about all the time uh, with our foundation in our religious beliefs. And when we do that, and we we don't even have to go down that road because sometimes that can be controversial. All you got to do is talk about the Constitution, that you as the individual have the power. You as the individual have the freedom to make your choices. You as the individual, you have the choice to live your life and have that American dream and take advantage of what this great nation offers. And when you promote those values, people listen. It's a positive message. And we have to try and win them over because Danny's right. The young generation, my generation, there are more and more between me and the ones behind me that are going independent. I'm tired of the two-party system. I want somebody different. And to be honest, that's why someone like Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who I think will be a an upset in this, not to win, but will at least sway the election one way or the other, will be a huge factor in this because he's saying some things that would win over a lot of conservative Republicans with concerns about the World Health Organization, about concerns about the corruption of the CIA and the FBI, obviously with what happened to his family and some of the uh, anti-big government policies that he's advocating for on the campaign trail. He is a threat to the Republicans in this election. And we can either use some of that talking points to win over people to the Republican side, or we he can be the upset for us that gives the election to Joe Biden. He's not going to win, but he's going to upset it one way or the other. The question is, who's he going to pull more from on the right or on the left? What an opportunity to do so. Todd Starnes, we love you to death, brother. Andy Hoosier filling in. We'll be back at it again tomorrow here on the Todd Starnes radio program with so much more to get to. Until then, everybody have a wonderful day. We'll see you on the radio.